This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Good morning and Happy New Year to you. Welcome to the first episode of the show for 2023. A little later on, we're going to be talking with Carolyn Turner. She's the managing director of the North Peace Regional Airport. We'll be chatting a bit about the challenges they faced over the holiday season with all the flights delayed out of Vancouver and other places and and sort of what they can do to mitigate that and in that sort of situation. So we'll talk a bit about that in a bit. But first... Uh, we've got lots to talk about, as per usual, on the federal side of politics that affects you here in Northeast BC. So to chat about some of the things that were on the table to end the session in the fall here and uh, what we're looking forward to in the new year, we're joined now by Prince or Northern Rockies MP, Bob Zimmer. Bob, welcome back to Moose Talks. Good to be back. I'm glad I nailed the, your entire title, I think, for the I first know, time ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bob, let's uh, talk first with drilling in the Arctic, because that was kind of yeah. a, a really recent news story uh, that came out where uh, you kind of expressed your disappointment yeah. in the federal government extending their moratorium on drilling in the Arctic. Can you kind of explain to us <clears> why <throat> briefly? Yeah, and I uh, even the word disappointment doesn't really phrase it uh, strongly enough, but it's parliamentary, I suppose, parliamentary language. But mm-hmm. uh, no, we just heard that there was an extension. Um, we saw some documentation that came um, uh, December 15th that said that this is the way they were going. I'd asked the Minister for Northern Affairs that question in committee uh, just prior to Christmas. And he doubled down on the moratorium and no yeah. more permitting or drilling to be happening in the Arctic. And and I'm not even saying that we should be necessarily doing that, but uh, we should be making, uh, we should be allowing the territories to make decisions about their resources, uh, we should be letting them make their own decisions on that. And, mm-hmm. and we've seen uh, when the moratorium first was implemented by this Prime Minister that there was uh, consternation from all Premiers saying, hey, look, uh, that's our decision to make, not yours. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to not be paternalistic. That was the whole campaign pitch. Mm-hmm. But here you go uh, saying, Ottawa knows best. We're going to shut you all down despite uh, what you may want to do and plans you may have. Because we know even in Northwest Territories, there's been some huge exploration for uh, natural gas uh, uh, north of Taktayaktuk. And, uh, and, and that moratorium has really just uh, been devastating for that community uh, mm-hmm. because they had a lot of hope, uh, especially with this you know, LNG and the promise that it can bring down emissions across the globe and and, uh, benefit Canadians and especially Northern Canadians who don't always have those opportunities and and just basically kibosh that whole plan. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and this is just to extend uh, that shutting it down. So it's it's unfortunate. I am more than disappointed, but uh, we need to be doing uh, things that we can uh, to support development in the North, not not shut it down. Mm -hmm. What do you make of the argument that, uh, first of all, this is, as I understand it, in line with what the U.S. has kept kind of doing in the Arctic, right? And and that this is sort of, I don't know, a, a, maybe a play to sort of keep them appeased that we're not drilling because you're not mm. drilling. But if that changes, maybe maybe we would change our stance. Yeah, too. I think previous administrations have, have developed. My uncle used to work up uh, in North Alaska as a Canadian, mm-hmm. as a directional driller. So there was, in previous administrations, there was exploration done. And we're talking about responsible resource development here. Yeah. We're, we're talking about 
you know, technology that's second to none in the world. Our workers are second to none in the world. We can go up there and do some really great things for the environment and for our energy, uh, especially, you know, the, the, the situation is especially uh, highlighted when we hear Ukraine, uh, you know, saying we need energy mm-hmm. uh, and the risk of what Russia is doing. Germany needs energy. Really, all of Europe is, is really under a Putin's thumb. We need to give them some options, and we need to think about this further down the road than just uh, you know the next uh, couple of years. We mm-hmm. need to look about how do we uh, be strong geopolitically as an ally to some of these countries that, who have we have lots of resources to offer. How about we develop those and make make ourselves a, a player in, mm-hmm. in the global uh, energy community? Now you mentioned years to come. Um, I don't have the name of the person in front of me, so yeah. I apologize. I'm pulling this quote out of thin air. But the idea that peak demand in, in oil and gas is, is, is going to be coming at some point yeah. uh, in the future. Uh, but this, even if there wasn't a moratorium on drilling, it's not like development's going to happen tomorrow or next year mm-hmm. or the year after. It would take some time for it yeah. to happen. Uh, what do you make of that notion that by the time we were able to develop anything in the Arctic at this point, we would be past peak demand? Yeah. And we might start to see a slow phase out of, of oil and gas anyway. What do well, you think of that? Well, I would ask that same so-called expert, uh, why have we seen um, you know, the U.S. Uh, increase their production at record levels of, of energy? Why are we seeing record production? Why are we seeing Germany develop its own LNG terminals mm-hmm. uh, to get energy to their own facilities? I think, uh, I think that uh, that's a little bit overstated. I think uh, the energy demand has just been proven to increase. I think... Mm-hmm. I think where most people are at in, in Canada, really around the world, is that we need to produce energy. They need energy. We all need energy. But let's do it in the most environmentally, the most uh, responsible, the most uh, ethically way we can. And Canada offers that. So we should, we should be doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to talk about the uh, banning handguns and hunting mm. rifles specifically. I think we yeah. talked about this the last time you were here. Cause yeah, it was it's a never-ending ju- yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about this, Bill. I mean, I know you're against it, but... There's been more coming out recently about how it will affect lots of people, including I read an article uh, coming out of Nunavut uh, mm-hmm. about how this would affect uh, Inuit people right. and their, their way of life in that you know, yeah. they need rifles to hunt. Yeah. Um, what is, how does this, first of all, affect local gun owners? And, and do you think the government, especially since there's been other groups coming out saying we, we have problems with this bill, do yeah. you think they're actually going to maybe listen and 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 yeah. and, and take some of these concerns? To uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I just I read yesterday uh, even their their own Liberal MP in the Northwest Territories mm-hmm. uh, has said that he has some uh, problems because even the the firearms that they're listing is going to be prohibited. The ones that um, that were listed by the the Liberal firearms expert. Uh, you know, they said it's only being used in safari type situations. So, well, they're actually being used to hunt buffalo. They're they're being used in many other situations that currently, obviously, this government doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. This is a liberal MP criticizing his own government, amongst many. Mm-hmm. Many rural liberal MPs are concerned where this is going. Um, so, I was the one who got the yes out of the li- the liberal expert because uh, up till then they were denying that uh, hunting rifles were part of this. Uh, ban Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, once I got the yes it was after my question the person said yes then it all really blew up on them and uh, and here we are Um, I think the fact of the matter is I don't think these uh, the liberal government will stop at just these particular farms in this particular amendment I think they're coming after all of them Mm -hmm. and uh, whether it's hunting rifles shotguns lever actions you name it I I think it's part of their agenda so uh, again I think 
you know, law-abiding firearms owners, this has been our premise, you know, since back in 06 and, and beyond. Law-abiding firearms owners are not the problem here. Uh, we have statistical evidence that, uh, you know, crime has been increasing since in 2016 under this government, under this government's kind of uh, ideology, uh, letting, you know, uh, lessening consequences for firearms crimes, uh, you know, while crack, cracking uh, or cranking down the screws on, on law-abiding firearms owners, it's a diversion. It's, I think it's actually making Canadians less safe as a result. Uh, we have an expert, uh, Gary Mauser, who's estimated it at $6.7 billion, uh, to pull this thing off, the gun confiscation regime, as it's laid out today. Mm-hmm. And he added another billion for the added amendment. Uh, so the amount of firearms that will be added with this amendment, it'll be another billion dollars. And I think that's a light estimate, honestly. I think it's going to be between at least five and ten billion. So that's one thing, people, it's a big number. So what does that mean for safety? Why does that make us more unsafe? It makes us more unsafe because instead of spending those resources uh, wisely, they're spending it on something that doesn't work. So let's spend it on something that does work. Uh, I did uh, in committee just spoke about the numbers. We could hire... 10,000 agents, whether they're police officers, uh, border agents, and buy them the equipment they need to scan every container as it comes across the border for that money, that mm-hmm. same money. That's for $5 billion. So I even did that conserva- conservative estimate. So how about we spend the money in a way that can make a difference, we know will make a difference, d- rather than spending money that we know isn't making a difference. It just doesn't make sense. And I think that person, the person that might have voted for Justin Trudeau last election, um, I, I think they're starting to ask questions about, okay, you've had, you've had seven years now with your ideological uh, kind of spin on, on firearms. It isn't working. Uh, our kids are more unsafe as a result of what you're doing. Uh, we're looking for an alternative that actually does make us more safe, and we have that alternative. Mm-hmm. Is that then what you, like how you would approach the situation is you'd spend the money on, as you say, yeah. um, maybe even at the border, increasing um, the ability of agents yeah. or however it would work to scan, to, to, mm-hmm. to investigate uh, containers that are bringing illegal hands. I would even Canada. add one thing further is that once you have those particular, those officers or agents, uh, not only they are scanning for firearms, they're scanning for uh, opioids. They're, mm-hmm. they're scanning for other illegal things coming into our country that are killing our kids. So it'll have another benefit that goes far beyond just illegal firearms and, and the impacts of those illegal firearms in Canada. Uh, another, yeah. So I, I think uh, that's an obvious path. Uh, sadly, again, this PM isn't choosing that path. He's choosing to uh, follow along with his, his ideology. I think mm-hmm. the part that I've challenged, and I stood up in the House to challenge the rural Liberal MPs, is I, di- I said I didn't even want this question to be answered by the Prime Minister. I want Liberal MPs, the rural MPs, to stand up uh, and answer my question about mm-hmm. uh, are they going to stand up for their law-abiding farms owners in their own communities. And that remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move on to something that's a little more uh, good newsy, uh, shall yeah, we? The passport sure. office opening in yeah. Prince George. Um, I believe as soon as that was announced, you came and said, "Great news! Uh, people won't have to travel as far." Yeah. Um, what what sort of measurable impact do you think this is going to have? Because I know you've also, uh, for some time, been trying to help people deal with the yeah. enormous backlog in getting yeah. passports out that uh, kind of has happened since COVID, really. Yeah, our office deals with that. That's what most ninety percent of what we do. My staff does, and, and all our offices and the constituencies deal with passport applications. And deal with a crisis around getting a passport. Some yeah. people are trying to travel and, and they can't. So having this office, 
you know, our, our former option was, okay, you have to go to Edmonton or have to go to Vancouver physically and then stand in line and get your passport handed to you, even Ottawa perhaps. Mm-hmm. So this is a huge positive. Uh, we'll see how it works. We hopefully, uh, we hope it works as well as is promised, but it's, uh, you know, it's at least some alleviate some of the, uh, the problems that, uh, that, that, that lack of passport, um, uh, passports being produced, frankly, since 2020, mm-hmm. uh, since COVID hit, uh, we've seen huge problems with the passport offices uh, wherever they are. Yeah. So again, it's a real positive. Are you hoping this is a permanent thing that they do, just like after the backlog and yeah. kind of things resume to quote unquote normal, that they would keep this office open yes. for people in the? Yes, I would hope so. I think the population increase in our northern communities warrants it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're very much, uh, uh, you know, Prince George North very much a hub for the northern part of the province and uh, even from further north even into Yukon and, mm-hmm. and other areas so um, it's a stop along their way so no I think it's a good thing okay uh, one final question we got about a minute left yeah. Bob just to, kind of in the new year what, what do you think you're most looking forward to as a member of parliament uh, tackling whether it's something that's ongoing or if there's something new that you think might be coming up that yeah. you, you're just kind of looking to dig into well there's no shortage of, of challenges uh, right now we're dealing with Canada post challenges uh, we've been dealing with the 911 changes and those who are yeah. affected by it know, know what that is it's a physical address that's been migrated Everybody has had to have a physical address now on their postage. Uh, that's been uh, hugely problematic for rural residents and still is. Um, and, and even the implications of what's happened as a result of that, we're still seeing problems from that. But we're seeing even further problems now with uh, shortages of postmasters, uh, you know, rural uh, you know, Canada Post uh, drop places mm-hmm. aren't able to find staff. So I'm gonna I'm digging into it. Uh, I have been digging into it for a while, but just seeing, we say, is it a lack of funds? Is it uh, what is the real problem in recruiting? Because re- recruiting really uh, staff of any kind is a problem in the north, yeah, uh, really across con- uh, Canada uh, uh, right now. So we need to dig into that because it's such an important part of our daily lives is getting that mail and getting mail out as well. Um, so I, I've, I use the services weekly as, as everybody. But uh, so that's what we're digging into. And hopefully we can get some solutions for our our residents. All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you uh, for having me and uh, have a happy new year. Absolutely. That's uh, Bob Zimmer, the uh, MP for Prince George Peace River, Northern Rockies here on Moose Talks. We'll be right back to the show right after this. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dub Craig. Now we're going to talk all about the North Peace Regional Airport and some of the challenges that airports... in general, we're facing over the holiday season. We all know somebody who has a uh, story about getting stranded or delayed or whatnot uh, while everyone was dealing with all the snow in Vancouver and places elsewhere. So to talk a bit about that situation and how they handle things here in the North Peace, we're joined now by the managing director of the North North Peace Regional Airport, Carolyn Turner. Carolyn, welcome to Moose Talks. Good morning. Thanks, Dub. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much for being here. So as I mentioned, I mean, we've all been reading the news in the last uh, two, three weeks about all the Mm -hmm. delayed, canceled flights over the Christmas holidays in Vancouver and places elsewhere. Can we talk a bit kind of in general, if you can, uh, a bit about 
the causes to all these cancellations, delays, and, and how things were at the North Peace Regional Airport when so many people were trying to get to Vancouver and places Absolutely. Elsewhere. So um, while I can't speak to the operations at other airports, um, as we all know from the news and watching the weather, the Vancouver um, Airport and Vancouver as a city experienced uh, quite an anomaly of a snowstorm mm-hmm. um, there right before Christmas. Um, what what happens when that occurs, when a, a weather phenomenon such as that uh, occurs in a place like Vancouver that doesn't have it very often um, is that it backlogs um, mm-hmm. everything. So not just planes at their airport, but planes trying to get to their airport are then backlogged at, um, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, yeah. Toronto, any other airports that are trying to come. Um, we also experience some extreme cold weather temperatures, um, which don't often affect the type of aircraft that we have flying here, the Q400s. But as soon as you get into the larger aircraft that aren't turboprop, um, they don't like that cold weather as much and it, it poses some new challenges. Um, so that caused some some issues in Calgary and Edmonton. And then, of course, the East Coast, Ontario and eastward um, was also hit with a storm there right around Christmas. Um, and again, that snowball effect happens across the country, if not into the United States and other um, other markets. Mm-hmm. So really, the weather was uh, the cause in, in this case. Um, what I am happy to report is that the North Peace Regional Airport remained open for business throughout the holidays. Uh, we were we were ready for aircraft to come in or to depart, um, but it was just a matter of whether the receiving airports um, or the sending airports were um, letting the aircraft go. Mm-hmm. Were you? Uh, how were you dealing with um, the backlogs here in terms of people waiting to find out if their flights were going to make it or if they were able to land? Because as you say. It was kind of a perfect storm where everywhere Mm -hmm. was experiencing these delays. So did you have a lot more traffic at at various times because people there was suddenly more people waiting to find out what was going to happen than maybe you'd experience at a normal Christmas or a holiday time? Well, it, it's always a busy time of year, yeah. um, so we're we're always prepared for that. We do have busier days at the airport. Mondays and Thursdays are are quite busy with our charter flights and so on. Um, so, did we notice a, a few more passengers around the terminal? Absolutely. Um, but the, the communications come from the airlines. Their websites are continuously updated. If they have tickets, then um, they get text messages, emails, messages on their apps, and mm-hmm. so on. Uh, so, what we do as an airport is just ensure that we have um, the services to support those additional passengers that are in the terminal. Uh, our restaurant uh, was available and open with Spicy Fusion there mm-hmm. um, uh, on the um, the non-secure side of, of the airport. And then, of course, in the secure side, for the most part, people weren't going through security because of the flight delays of, of going out. So um, so I would say that we weren't over full, um, but it was definitely a busy Christmas period. Mm-hmm. Were you finding lots of people were asking questions of you in the airport like why is this happening why is that when again as you kind of said not to throw them under the bus but it was really about the airlines and how they were handling things again in other For centers sure. yes we we do get emails and phone calls at the at the airport um yeah. and uh, it's a common you know misunderstanding that um the airports run everything whereas um as we we provide the airport itself the facilities um and the means for the airlines to operate their business um and they did a very good job as well yeah. um you know we had 
right before all these storms, we had those temperatures of minus 49 with the wind chill. Um, we've got people outside handling baggage and and um, and what have you, shoveling snow in those temperatures. And so I have to give a lot of credit to the airlines and their contractors um, for how they handle the winters in Fort St. John. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered if we could just talk quickly about kind of handling winter in Fort St. John. What what here at our airport would cause a flight to be canceled? What is there a temperature? Is it is it everyone has to kind of uh, assess the conditions on the plane and on the runway every time, or is it it's mm-hmm. minus fifty? We got to shut things down. How does that work? It's it. There's never a perfect answer for you that yeah. it's one thing. It, there's so many variables. The variables can come from um, the airlines. It can come from the weather. More more often than not, it's the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, so some extreme conditions that uh, make it very difficult are uh, thick fog or extreme mm-hmm. fog. Uh, in the winter, we see the ice fog. That can be challenging um, and uh, for aircraft to come in or to, to take off. Um, then when the weather gets to a point of... Um, extreme cold, then the de-icing fluid that's put on the aircraft before they take off um, becomes ineffective. So when we get into those really cold temperatures, basically, if the aircraft requires de-icing, it's ineffective and and they can't use it. Mm -hmm. the other weather phenomena that um, can really affect us is freezing rain. Uh, luckily, we haven't had too much of that this year. We had a little bit of the um, uh, ice droplets and so on, but not the freezing rain so far that uh, was experienced last winter. Mm-hmm. Um, what that does is makes it challenging for us at the airport in clearing the runway. Mm-hmm. So there's only, you know, if there are any, and I don't think there are any um, chemicals that will work, uh, as soon as you get into the minus 35 range um, to to melt the ice or to clear the ice on the runway. So it becomes a manual, very arduous process of scraping the ice off of the surface, um, which, you know, that that is like scraping ice off of the windshield of your of your car. Okay. So um, so that job can be very laborious and uh, our crews do that. But that's the biggest one that could um, could close the airport for flights in and out. But we haven't experienced that so far this year all right well that's good um with us seeing this extreme weather at uh, the holidays and and the likelihood that we're going to see this more and more with mm-hmm. climate change and whatnot is airports like the north peace regional airport is there uh, preparations in place plans in place for how we're going to deal with this kind of stuff if we see it happening more and more and 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 what we can do to make it better for everybody involved for you the employees for the passengers on the flights, for the you know the the, the workers on mm-hmm. the flights and the airlines to deal with what might be coming uh, a more regular occurrence in the future. Right. So the nice thing about um, the Fort St. John Airport is we already are in the north. We already do experience these extreme weather conditions yeah. that the south is not as used to as we are. So we already do the prep work. Before the snow flies, we have winter operations meetings. We do training. We check our equipment. We stock, you know, the, the sand, the de-icing fluid um, all up so we're prepared for when winter hits. Um, mm-hmm. And then of of course, the things that we can do to prepare for that is, you know, if it looks like we're going to be experiencing more of the, the more snow, more ice, more um, of that type of weather, then it means that we up our our quantities of our inventory um, of those types of materials. Um, from a staffing perspective, we're always monitoring the weather. And if it looks like something is coming our way, then um 
we have our existing staff, but we also will call in uh, overtime to make sure that those runways and taxiways are cleared. Mm-hmm. And also on the ground side of the airport, meaning the the uh, walkways, parking lot, and so on. So uh, I would say that we're well positioned, um, we're well trained, and well prepared for that type of weather already. Um, so if more gets thrown at us, it's just a matter of uh, making sure that we have the materials and the manpower uh, to support them. Wonderful. Well, Carolyn, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat with us today. Thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. That's Carolyn Turner, the Managing Director of the North Peace Regional Airport. Our thanks to our guests, Bob Zimmer and Carolyn Turner, for joining us today. Make sure you check out the podcast of this show and older episodes now at energeticcity.ca slash podcast. You can also listen to episodes of our other podcasts, such as Secrets of the North, all about true crime in the North, and Before the Peace, all about highlighting Indigenous voices from the northeast section of BC. For your listening pleasure now, head over to energeticcity.ca slash podcast. That's our show for today. Trey Lopashinsky and Jordan Prentice are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.